0: Okay, please turn to the Gospel of Luke. I will be reading Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Luke 10, 38 to 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Oh, Jesus, please work on us. Please change. Our schedules and our hearts make us, daily and weekly, as desperate as Mary. For our soul's sake, for our happiness, and for the sake of those around us, and for your glory, I pray. Amen. Amen. One commentator on this passage writes, I quote In their book, First Things First, Stephen Covey and Roger Merrill ask this penetrating question What is the one activity that you know if you did supremely well and consistently? would have significant positive results in your personal life. They repeat the question with regard to your professional and work life and then ask, if you know these things would make such a significant difference, why are you not doing them now? They go on to discuss how we often wrongly let the urgent take priority over that which is truly important. And they're writing to business people and how to do their jobs and lives. Well, it applies to a baseball player. If you know that if you would just do things this way, what is most important to be better? Why don't you do them? If you're a restaurant owner, what is the one thing that you feel, if you concentrate on that most important thing, would make your business soar better? It's true for homeschool moms. CEOs. And according to Jesus, it applies to our walk with God. In our passage, Jesus blatantly makes the point that there are things, actually one thing, that if you do it, as the writers here said, superbly well, and consistently, it will have a significant positive impact on your personal life. And that one thing is sitting At the feet of Jesus, listening intently. That's the message of this concise and yet really powerful story. Over the last two weeks, I have emphasized the two great commands that came right before this. And I've emphasized that there is a priority of those two. The first command is the first, and it's always the first, and it's not the second. The first is vertical. It is word. It is you and God. To love Him with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. The second, logically, we're not talking about temporal here. It's the logical second in how we work these things out in our life is then to love others. And I don't think it's an accident that Luke, in putting together his narrative, places this story now right after what we have just seen. Right after the unfolding of these two commands in his discussion with the lawyer where he emphasized the second commandment through the parable of the good Samaritan. And now this. And I think that it comes here so that we, again, he makes it clear, Luke wants to make it clear, we do not think that as glorious as the second commandment is, to love others, like the Good Samaritan, that that is preeminent. That the horizontal is first. And the horizontal is filled with good stuff. It is a really good thing to be hospitable to others. Cooking other people meals and serving it is good. Teaching Sunday school is good. All kinds of church, volunteerism, homeless shelters <laughs> is good. It's good to spend time in your life in such activities. But we might think that that stuff is a substitute for loving. God, for, for hanging out with God, for sitting at the feet of Jesus. Apart from all that, with an ear to hear. This story of Mary shows us that our devotion to be filled with the Word of God. I don't mean for others. I mean personally, for our soul's sake, and to be cut by it is the basis of all other service. One, as we have seen last few weeks, is logically prior to the other. The vertical, our prayer life, you can't really separate that from the word life. We speak, we pour out our hearts, our frustrations, our joys, and we do that knowing He has spoken. And knowing where to access it is first, logically, always. And out of that flows the horizontal. And from our text, I think what we'll see this. That in our lives, as it functions, when that's first, we will be more protected from what we're going to see here, where our loving acts, we call them, service to other people, doesn't turn into judgmental bitterness. I'm serving so well. Make her help me. Irritates me. Okay, Something went wrong there. And it's the Vertical. That was absent. So let's look at the text. Luke chapter 10, start with verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary. Now, this is the Martha and the Mary who have a brother named Lazarus, who Jesus will raise from the dead. They live in Bethany, it's a few miles outside of Jerusalem, and and they somehow they have their close relationship with Jesus. We don't, Luke hasn't told us about this yet, but it's there, and we see it clearly in John, and they know each other, and Martha, wow, Jesus, okay, he's coming to my house, and most likely the twelve at least with him, and so she's like any good woman of the house, thrilled and frantic, and got to prepare, and... Get things ready, and so and they're there now. And Martha is still about it, and Jesus is teaching in the other room. So let's read it. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Mary is the, the pivotal, silent character in this story. She is sitting at Jesus' feet, listening, soaking in the Word. Now just real briefly, it's a little parenthesis. That is stunning if you understand first century Judaism. It's one thing for women to hear rabbis and to get taught here and there, but they're not disciples. Jesus is a rabbi. Rabbis are those who, who teach and they go around and their disciples hang with them. They actually drop stuff and they follow them. They listen orally to all the words. They memorize them. And this, this term, to sit at the feet, that is not what women do. With a rabbi. Jesus is he's radical. He's thrilled with that. So here's Mary. She, she thought, Jesus is here. The, the Master is here. He's got the goods. He's in here teaching. Bye. That's where I am going to be. And, and the Greek really makes it stick out. where She sat. It's this reflexive idea. Not just I sat, but I sat myself. I, she took herself and said, I'm going to sit myself down here at His feet. She is intent on not missing a thing. Jesus is teaching? I'm there. So Mary got it. This is the point. She got it. It wasn't just anybody teaching. It was God's word in her presence and teaching God's word. And see, remember Luke writing to Theophilus, Theophilus and, and Gentiles, he's very purposeful in his narrative as he lets us the readers, we're looking outside at stuff, so we already are to know what he has said. See, he brought us to the mountain of transfiguration, remember? And then out of the cloud a voice spoke saying, This is my Son, my Chosen One. Listen to Him. Mary got it. The Word of God is being taught. In John, in chapter 7, you remember this? The officers then came to the chief priest and the Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring Him? That is, arrest Jesus and bring Him with you. Response? No one ever spoke like this man. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we get this comment. And when Jesus... Finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at His teaching. (laughs) Because He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And this was not because Jesus came up with some new teaching method. It had to do with the essence of who this teacher was. And that what He taught was synonymous with the Word of God. This is how he says it in John chapter 12. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has Himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. What I say, therefore, I say... As the Father has told Me. In chapter 14 of John, He will say, Whoever does not love Me does not keep My words. And the word that you hear is not Mine, but the Father's who sent Me. Okay. So what's clear in Scripture is that Jesus... Speaks the words of God the Father. And He speaks as God the Son. Jesus' words, the meaning of the sentences, the paragraphs, are the source of life itself. I see Marcelo nodding, he's preaching through John. That's why he's nodding. One reason, anyway. You remember John 6? When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who could listen to it? Okay. So they're offended at words coming out of Jesus' mouth. And Jesus says, The words get it? The words. The words that I have spoken, or spirit, in their life. And then we read, after this, many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. And so Jesus said to the twelve, you want to go away also? And Simon Peter answered, uh, Simon Peter got it. Lord, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Okay. Got that little biblical theology? Mary got it. And so, let's continue the story. As Mary was just sitting there, With no activity. Just sitting. Except for her active, intentional listening. Soaking up the words falling from Jesus' lips. And she's just sitting there. (laughs) Yeah, just but. And she's, okay, yeah, let's take it from someone else's viewpoint. Yeah, she's just sitting there. Her sister started to fume with frustration. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, oh, Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Okay. Serving others is a good thing, and Martha's doing it. You see it? Martha was distracted with much. Serving. Okay, emphasize the other word that's supposed to be emphasized. Martha was distracted. That word in Greek it, it means she was pulled away. Okay, to get the flow, Mary was sitting. But Martha was pulled away with much serving. I mean, which made sense. I mean, people got to eat and it's got to be nice. And women, you know what that feels like more than most men. There's people to be served, there's food to be served. It's got to be ready, it's got to be cooked right. So she was stressed out. And, and, and I don't doubt that she probably thought to herself, well, I'd like to be in there just sitting down listening to Jesus too, but come on, there's a lot of stuff that needs to still be done. And so Martha was getting angrier and angrier. I mean, you can just picture it. Come on, it's Bible, don't do that Bible. Look, she's us. And he walks in from the kitchen area, outside, and through the room, you can hear a sigh. And she does something in there for prep, and Jesus is teaching away, and you can see her give a glance at her sister, if looks could kill. And she goes back out to patio, and you hear clay pots banging again. Marking, marking. And so as time goes by. She is not only frustrated with her sister, Mary, she's starting to get mad at Jesus for allowing it to go on and on. He's not doing anything about it. Don't you understand? First century Jewish culture. And so finally she can't take it anymore. She goes in and she interrupts Jesus' teaching. And she says, Jesus! Lord, it's right there, verse forty. Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Sure you do. Therefore tell her to get up and help me. Well that is what she means. Let me let me paraphrase it. Jesus, are you blind? Can't you see how flaky my sister is? And you are part of the problem now. Can't, I can't believe you haven't said anything to her. So go ahead now. Tell her <laughs> what you and I know that you ought to tell her to do. Her self-righteous attitude led her to rebuke Jesus. Look, Jesus, I'm preparing you a good meal. The least you could do is to get my sister to get off her little thingus and help me. See, that's what Martha's words are doing. It's what they meant to do. It's a rhetorical question that she asks. Okay, she's not looking for. And I wonder what the answer is, Jesus, your Lord. It's not what she's doing. It's a rhetorical question, which means she's making. A statement. In her mind, the answer, therefore, in the question, is obvious to everybody. So when she says, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone, she's raising the issue of whether Jesus cares enough about her, Martha. And the obvious answer is, of course you care, Jesus. That's why. Therefore, she answers it for him, tell her to get up and help And, and I think, and I know, I'm, I've been there, I think we've all been there. Sometimes when the answer to questions are so obvious that, that you have to tell somebody the answer, it really irritates you. I mean, I can't, I can't believe I've got to go to that person again and say, no, no, the sky is blue. You see how I just did that? I can't even do it normally. I get so frustrated and the sky is blue. Why isn't this not obvious? Okay, that's how Martha seems to feel. Do you not care? I I don't get it. Then tell her to get up like I don't okay, she's frustrated. Out of her mind. Martha's a competent person, I think. I think in today's world, I'm just gonna make this wild guess. She's a type A personality. And with all of our differing personalities, there's positives to them and there are negatives to them. Now, with Martha, type A, when you want something done, get those people. Phew. You know, the other people can frustrate someone <laughs> when you want something done. She's competent. She she knows what she knows what needs to be done. She knows when it needs to be done. She knows exactly how it needs to be done. And if you push her on it, she will get in your face and say something like, Jesus, let me help you. Tell her to get up. And help me serve. Okay. That seems to be what's happened. And Martha's priorities are out of whack. There is nothing wrong with serving people food. Cooking it. Preparing it. Making things nice. That's not the point of the story. That's good stuff. But to do that horizontal good stuff instead of. Sitting with Jesus. Sitting at His feet, listening to the Word. And, And worse, project your distorted view on this whole topic onto other people like Mary to the point where you would yank her away from her Savior so she can help you. That is, let me just let Jesus... Say it. Verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're so anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. The double Martha, the Martha, the Martha, it's it's a rhetorical device for showing emotion. Jesus is here lovingly chiding Martha. You know why? Because he loves Martha. And he loves you. That's why it's here. But, Lord, there's no time to sit at your feet for an hour, undistracted, to pray, to read Scripture, to read a book on Scripture, be taught Scripture, or to hear an MP3 sermon. I don't have time to fit that in and be with you. I don't mean for like pastors like me, for merely sermon prep. I'm talking about sitting at the feet of Jesus. There's no time because, look, you're with me. If you're not with me, you're out of touch. I'm overwhelmed with what I won't get done. If I do that. Martha, Martha. Joe, Joe. Here's the text. Trust me. There's only one thing that is essential for all of your text. Daryl Bach, one of the commentators on Luke, just concisely sums up, I think, the point. Saying, service of the hand cannot supersede service of the ear. Because the ear guides the heart and the hand. Martha's ministry of serving here distracted her away from Jesus. So Martha was distracted with much serving. And Jesus confirms it. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But, one Faith is necessary. And Mary has chosen it. The listening to the Word of God. Jesus came to build His church. He has come, one of the purposes is to make that bride that church his body be the light of the world that the body would work and it would serve that the body would evangelize love their neighbors as themselves stand up for justice and for truth proclaim the gospel help the needy all that's true. But the priority for each individual's life in doing all those things is first listening, being moved by, affected, at times tormented, encouraged. By the word of God. So, Jesus answers Martha. Martha, the answer is no. I will not take this experience away from your sister Mary. Food can wait. The essence, Christian, the essence of your call of coming to Christ, that, that is the core meaning of the Christian life, is not to cook a meal for Jesus. That's fruit. But the root, the root is. Let me say it more clearly again. The root is not evangelism. It's not pastoring a church. It's not someone working in a church office who really makes a church go. <laughs> Wish we had an office. It's not running the Sunday school or teaching Sunday school. The root is to sit. At the feet of Jesus regularly and intimately and personally be cut, sliced, lovingly by the hand of His Holy Word in Scripture. In various forms that that comes. You know how the Hebrew writer put it. For the Word of God is living. And active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. Oh, it'll judge us in a wonderful way if you're a believer, in a scary way if you're not. It'll cut and divide between soul and spirit, of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's the thrust of our text. Oh, it speaks to every one of us. Martha, Martha, you are too busy. One thing is necessary. All you got to do is put your name in there in place of Martha's. And it is the experience of us all to one degree or another in the Christian life. Martha was distracted by all of her preparations in this context. She was worried. She was anxious. As according to Jesus, she was troubled about many things. Okay, why? Why? Because she actually had a lot to do. Welcome to life. She had guests. She had meals to prepare. You know what that's like, women. How easy it is, though, to get distracted from the one thing that is necessary. That's the message. And in our modern world, (laughs) I think things are probably only worse. Uh, With the advent of TV, and now the internet, texting, social networks, Facebook, you know, how many people I run into who don't even know how rude it is when they're in a one-to-one conversation, how they constantly interrupt that sec- yep, buzz, kind of look at that. I don't know how people survive for those centuries. Okay, if, if we can do that with one another, how easy is that to do at the feet of Jesus? See, I don't again tell you, let me show you where we're clear. I no don't mean perfunctory reading our Bibles, which we all fall into. I hope at least at least we fall into that. Perfunctory. I did my prayer. I'm talking about the feet of Jesus, where sometimes it takes you more than 47 minutes to finally get there. I'm talking about where our hearts are finally moved and there's a sense of the presence of of the Holy Spirit, stronger than it was twenty minutes ago. Talking about at the feet of Jesus with a Bible open, the Word of God. It could be a sermon you're hearing preached, and the MP does it. He's working on you, and you're giving time for that. And then the Holy Spirit's presence is just strong, and you got a vibration in your pocket. I've got someone responded to my face book status. Got to find out what it was. The distractions are ubiquitous. What is so wonderful about Martha here in this text and that she existed and that this happened is that we can all feel exactly what she felt. It's our life. We all face deadlines. Students The homework has to get done. The work project needs to be finished. Studying a text, doing exegesis, it's got to be done. Writing a sermon, it's got to be done by such and such. I got a meeting in my business or at my work. Life is filled with that. It never ends. So everything comes down to time management. From a time management book called First Things First. I'm going to quote a little story, okay? Here we go. A time management expert was speaking to a group of business students. He pulled out a one-gallon, wide-mouthed jar and set it on a table in front of him. Then he took about a dozen fist-sized rocks and carefully placed them one at a time into the jar. When no more rocks would fit inside, he asked the class, Is the jar full? Everyone answered, Yes. He said, Ah. And he reached under the table and pulled out a bucket of gravel. He poured some in and shook the jar so that the gravel worked its way in between the larger rocks. Then he asked again, Is the jar full? By this time, the class was on to him. So they replied, Probably not. Good, he replied. And he reached under the table and he brought out a bucket of sand. And he dumped the sand in and it went into all the spaces left between the rocks and the gravel. And once more he asked, Is the jar full? The class shouted, No! Good, he said again. Then he grabbed a pitcher of water and poured it in until the jar was full to the brim. And then he asked the class what was the point of this illustration? One eager beaver said, the point is, no matter how full your schedule is, if you try really hard, you can fit some more things into it. No! The speaker replied. It's not the point. The point is this. If you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in at all. Jesus is saying what Mary is choosing as a model for all my sheep down through the centuries is the big rock. It's listening. It's praying. This is how I see it in my mind. When I say this, when I say the Word, I mean the Word slash prayer. Communing. Jesus is saying in this text, if you are not constantly careful, busyness will choke me out. the true source of your life, of your busyness that you have besides it. See, Jesus, He created Martha. And He personally and very dearly loved Martha. And it, families don't work without the functions of what Martha's doing. Churches don't work without Martha's. Youth sports offices, all kinds of Christian ministry, none of that stuff actually works unless there are servants serving. All that's true. All that's biblical and all that's ordained of God. Yes, even youth sports. But in our text... Jesus corrects Martha and he commends Mary. He's saying, Martha, Mary gets it. She's right, Martha. And the point is beware of letting the good Choke out the best. Defined in our text as the one thing necessary. Let's let the Word of God this morning change us where we need to be changed. Let it cause us, by the Spirit of Christ, to commit to putting the rock in the jar of our day first. see the text here it doesn't say what Mary Martha did i don't know she'd go away boohooing and yeah, didn't appreciate this cooking food i't it doesn't say, but we do know this: Martha is. The only person other than Peter in the New Testament who made a public confession of who Jesus actually was that's recorded during Jesus' lifetime. You are the Christ, the Son of God. She said it in John. And Peter said it. So I'm going to go out on a limb to say she probably took the correction from Jesus. I'm going to go out on a limb and say she probably was learning, as we're all in the practice of learning, how to sit at the feet of Jesus because she somehow got that. (laughs) And that didn't happen unless there's some attentiveness going on in her heart along with what she's hearing Jesus say over the months and a couple years that she may have known Him. She stopped blaming Mary, I think. That's a huge thing. Is for us to stop blaming others or circumstances. She learned to sit and to listen to the Word of God without worrying whether the clothes got washed or the dinner was served. On time, we have to stop blaming all the other things and just get with God. You know, I think about an illustration, a real part of my life concerning diet. I went there was a few years there. Yeah, I know I should lose some weight. I should be more healthy, and I blamed it's my wife's fault. And I tell her, if you wouldn't buy all this stuff, I won't go to the store. Trust me, I don't go to the store. I won't go and buy the ice cream or the cookies or, or these potato chips or all this other stuff. I walk in my own house and it sits in front of me. And you know what? My resistance barrier is down at that point. I can do it. If it's not there, I don't have to get in the car and go get it. Blame Blame, blame, fatter, fatter, fatter. Until it finally hit me. Do I really want to be healthier for my wife and my kids? If I do, Joe, the food situation with six kids is going to be the same. You have. It's the same with our prayer word life. Stop blaming. And do it. It's your fault, Joe. It's not Mary's fault. It's not all the demands on your schedule. It's the way you and I schedule. Simple as that. Let me let me give you another illustration. My wife and I, for all these years, would never give 10% of our income to God if we first bought all of our family necessities like food and clothes and shelter. And then thought, okay, is there 10% here? It would never work. And, it is amazing through all these years how absolutely unstressful tithing has been. Just because it's tithing. It's off the top. We knew you got 90% of your income to live on. Now, you just flip that with time. Same thing. We all have a finite amount of time. When you understand, what are that what that percentage is, I'm just going to use the tithe for a second, but it's not that, okay, whatever that percentage is, when you realize, I only have 90% of my time to go to work and to be married and to do marriage and to do parenting and to do church and do everything else, I got 90% of my time because this is what comes off the top. There's one thing That's necessary. And Jesus is saying, just take it off the top. The illustration is saying, put the rock in first. If you don't, it won't fit. It won't go in the jar. Sitting at Jesus' feet is something that Mary chose to do. And it will not happen accidentally Because there's always too many things to do. Good things. And they will crowd it out. So here's my closing exhortation. Christians, when it comes to having friends in your life, you need to keep them. You need to fight to be close. To your friends. There's only so much time to do it. Fathers. Mothers. Oh, do we feel this. But you need to battle. To spend time with your kid. Married people doesn't happen accidentally. You find out, especially after kids. But we married people need to battle to spend time, intimacy with our spouse, dating away from children. So we so much time today. Okay, got that? I, I'm going to tell you. I know that. I affirm all that. That's there now that we feel it. But first. Before your marriage. Before your parenting. There's one thing in life. That's necessary. Fight. To spend time. With your Savior. Over the word. Enough time. To actually. Draw. Close. Where you know. It's different now than when I started. Put the rocks in the jar first every day. And Lord Jesus, this is such a merciful, merciful text. And our great encouragement is also knowing how much you love Martha. And in our battle of this life in which you are sanctifying us by the Spirit and you are doing all the work in all of our failings, we know you love us. Grow us, teach us, along with Martha, how to press on in our daily lives and make the one thing that is essential and necessary be the first thing we build all of our lives upon. to the empowerment of our souls, to the desperate help we need, to the joy of those who live with us, and to those who live around us. And all of that to the glory of Christ. You are glorious savior. Oh, continue to work, I pray now, in these few minutes, upon each heart, each soul. Jesus, you have ascended, and you have sent the Spirit. We thank you.